Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Balance of power decided in the Senate narrowly in the Democrats' favor. A narrow majority will mark the House as well. Navigating Congress with a slim majority puts even more weight on the role of top leadership. But for both parties, picking a leader is proving challenging. NTD's Melina Wisecup reports. Lawmakers are back in D.C. and now's the time to pick party leadership for the new Congress. Republicans moving quicker than Democrats taking votes this week. Though some Senate Republicans want to delay. Senators including Marco Rubio, Ron Johnson, Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz want to wait to see the results in Georgia. Republicans won't hold the majority in the Senate as the latest win in Nevada secured 50 seats for Democrats. The three reasons that we defied all the expectations. First, we had great candidates. Our candidates cared about people. Senator Chuck Schumer is expected to lead Senate Democrats. A formal vote will be held in December. But who will be the House Democrats' top leader? Pelosi is still holding back her plans. Uh, the wishes of my family and uh, the wishes of my caucus, but none of it will be very much considered until we see what the outcome of all of this is. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is eager to replace the speaker. Kevin McCarthy has worked extremely hard to understand how to get things done, work with people on both sides of the aisle. House Republicans will take a vote tomorrow, but McCarthy's bid faces pushback. Representative Andy Biggs says there will be a challenger and other members saying it's not a bad idea for debate and deliberation and discussion and some of that discussion will be passionate and 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 that's okay because democracy is supposed to be a little messy while other members like representative marjorie taylor green call it a bad strategy due to the razor-thin margin the gop is projected to take the party needs to secure six or more seats for a slim majority in the chamber melina even if republicans do take the House, as it's looking like they will, it's clear it will be a very small margin. Uh, will this make it difficult for Congress to move any type of legislation? Yes, yeah, Steve. So it will be challenging for congressional leadership uh, to move legislation quickly during this next Congress. And I say that because under the scenario that you just mentioned, Republicans would hold the majority by a very slim margin in the House and Democrats hold the majority by a very slim margin in the Senate. And then you have, of course, Democrats controlling the White House. So not only would Republicans in the House have to work with Democrats in the Senate and President Biden in the White House, but Republican leadership in this in the House will have to work within their own party very closely to get things passed. This is because you need 218 votes to pass anything in the House. If Republicans say hold the majority by 220 seats, that means they can't really lose any votes on any legislation that they're trying to pass if all Democrats are voting against what they're putting forward on the floor. Um, so this can become challenging when you have uh, a caucus like the House Freedom Caucus who isn't afraid to buck party leaders leadership. Not saying that's a bad thing. They, you know, this is the way our democratic process works, but this just, this does just showcase how it will be difficult for leadership to work within this very slim margin come uh, January. Steve, back to you. Thank you for that, Melina. And Arizona and Nevada are still counting their ballots days after the election. 
Many Americans raising concerns about election integrity and the security of the elections in those two states. Joining us to discuss this past election, we have Rick Maida, a former Senate candidate from New Jersey. Rick Mehta, thank you so much for joining us in the Capitol Report. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Rick, millions of Americans are watching this past election uh, through a very similar lens that they did with 2020. Uh, Nevada and Arizona vote count being slow rolled with the Democrats slightly edging out the Republican for the win. Should the American people be, you know, rest assured that uh, this is normal and their election is fair and secure? I got to tell you, uh, not having results on election day, that is far from normal. Uh, we saw that in 2020 when many governors across the state, in fact, my state of New Jersey made everything vote by mail, and it took months to do the final tally of the final vote. I mean, the American public's de you know, demand and expect transparency, accountability, and they should know the results on the day. I mean, we are uh, one of the most powerful countries uh, in the entire world. Many countries that are even middle income, low income, uh, that have even more broken systems than we do can get results on the same day. I think every American should be concerned about the process in which the elections and voting and polling has been taking place, uh, especially states like Arizona and Nevada, where it just takes weeks and weeks uh, to do counting. You have states like Florida that has millions of more residents and they're able to get results right away. So something is not being done correctly. Rick, with regard to the elections themselves, I want to ask you about uh, some certain demographic blocks. We've heard a lot about the Hispanic vote uh, gravitating toward conservatives over the past uh, few years. What about, say, the um, Asian vote, black voters, um, and more specifically this past cycle? You know, I'll tell you, the uh, minority vote in general, the black and brown vote, uh, they're not to be taken for granted among the Democrats. I can tell you that. Um, I think a lot more uh, Asian Americans, and even when you have to get more demographically specific, uh, Indian Americans, uh, Chinese Americans, Korean Americans, you know, many of them do tend to be more leaning towards the conservative terms of values, uh, but socially yet still vote uh, for more progressive uh, candidates. Uh, and right now, I think one of the biggest driving factors uh, is the economy. Uh, we saw in my state of New Jersey, more than 33% of our small businesses shut down, where more than 50% of them are run by immigrants and those uh, from uh, immigrant families. Uh, and so, you know, when you start to peer that back a little bit, you see the Hispanic vote starting to trend towards more conservatives, but you're also seeing uh, some more demographical representation. We saw uh, Anna Paulina win her seat uh, in Florida. Uh, and we've seen more and more Hispanic leaders step up and run for the Republican Party and win and do incredibly well. Um, we haven't quite seen that trend yet among the Asian Americans. We have young Kim out in California. Uh, but then we had a real dynamic leader in Rhode Island, Alan Fung, uh, you know, who came very close, you know, a Chinese American, uh, a Republican to oust, uh, you know, uh, another Democrat in a heavily Democratic area. So I think we're starting to see more trends switching between left, right, left, right. But again, not a block to be taken for granted. I want to get your thoughts on um, Kevin McCarthy's bid for speaker. Uh, there's talk of a challenger within the Republican Party. How do you see this playing out? 
Well, I think we have to see what happens after the runoff uh, for the Senate. And, and we still have to see whether, you know, the House uh, votes are still coming in. There's still um, a few undecided uh, races out there. But the truth is, is that, you know, the red wave that we were hoping for, uh, while it didn't happen, we still have, you know, the Republicans still have control of the House or should. Uh, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, the Senate didn't work out. But the truth is, we have to find who is going to be the true leader that can get our principles and our values out there uh, and champion them. And so I think a lot of questions have to be asked if Kevin McCarthy is going to be or can continue to be that right leader for the House. Rick, you ran for Congress this past cycle. You also ran a very formidable Senate campaign in 2020, garnering over 40 percent of the vote in the general election. Um, any future plans for you? That's a great question. Let's see how 23 and 24 play out. Uh, I'll tell you, New Jersey also is a swing state. You know, it's a bellwether. Everyone says that it's a hard Democrat. Not true. Uh, we saw in 21 the Republican governor come within two points of ousting an incumbent popular Democrat. Uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunities for New Jersey uh, to be purple. Uh, let's see how the uh, next cycles play out. But uh, certainly Rick Maida is not going anywhere. Rick Maida, thank you so much. The evidence is mounting that the CCP is becoming more and more active meddling in elections in the United States. To dive into this, we had a chance to speak to journalist and senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, Josh Kurlancic. Josh Kurlancic, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Josh, we're just off some uh, pretty high-stakes midterms here, um, high stakes not only for America, but also um, a lot of foreign policy direction is on the uh, line. Were you concerned with any foreign interference uh, in our elections this cycle, specifically by the Chinese Communist Party? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a growing trend. A lot of the focus prior to the last two years had been on Russian interference, but there's definitely a growing trend on in the U.S. and in a lot of other countries of China trying to intervene in a number of ways in elections. One, by um, spreading disinformation on social media platforms. All the major U.S. social media platforms caught Chinese, what they believe to be Chinese efforts to spread disinformation or divide Americans, possibly to support candidates um, who were more sympathetic to China, so that Meta, Google, Twitter all um, found evidence of that. Then there's also some evidence of direct meddling. Um, there was evidence of direct meddling in some races, local races, and the state legislature race in New York City. Um, Canada, there's been extensive reports of ex extensive, extensive meddling in the 2019 federal election, which I think uh, uh, we should be expecting coming here as, as well. Um, and then there's an increase, I think, an increasing desire by the Chinese government to become more involved in state and local elections in the U.S. because those tend to have lower safeguards than um, a presidential election or a senatorial election, and that may lower the bar for Chinese um operatives to become involved in a campaign etc I and mean, we saw that with the case of Fang Fang, the alleged spy who became enmeshed in the bay area's political scene um as well as she had some contacts with midwestern mayors 
Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, the FBI has already warned that essentially that they, they are concerned that China is going to become, going to become the main uh, actor in uh, in um, external influence in, in U.S. election. So, Josh, outside of meddling in our elections, which is obviously, you know, unbelievable, uh, when it comes to the CCP's foreign influence campaigns, what are some of the other areas uh, that they tend to target? Right. So, I mean, some of the, the areas that have been built up in recent years is China has gained the gain. The Chinese government has, through proxies or, or, um, or through just their state media, gained control of most of the Chinese language media market in the United States and North America. And in fact, in most places in Southeast Asia, in Australia, and New Zealand. So, um, other than you, and one or two other outlets. Um, there, most of the other Chinese language media that's available to Chinese speakers who are not an insignificant number in the United States are either um, state media, actual state media like CGTN, um, or their Phoenix TV, which is now de facto state media. Um, it, it is actually partly controlled by state company, um, but it essentially it's whatever Phoenix TV was in the past when there were times when uh, some time ago when it was had some independence it, it, that's gone so there's that and then there's a number of other outlets available in the US which are essentially owned by owners who are extremely favorable towards Beijing and that's and then there is some effort to reach out to, to English speakers in the media too with this growing use of um, advertorials placed in major publications. Not all US or um, publications accept them, but some do. Los Angeles Times has, Foreign Policy has, and there are these advertorials that appear in the news outlet. There's basically produced by China Daily. <clears throat> and the, although they mark them as advertorials, for an average reader, it's often hard to tell the difference, and they're essentially just propaganda. Josh Karlancic, really appreciate your perspective. Thanks for having me. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review, as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.